Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, February 19th, 2023 called Transfiguration Sunday, Jesus Revealed, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 6 through 8. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. All right, so we're going to talk about this transfiguration, and it's in two different spots here. So Peter talks about it in his letter. Thanks, Susan, for reading that for us. So the second Peter letter talks about, he's remembering now, and this is two or three decades later at least that Peter is writing this writing this, probably 30 years after the events themselves. So, um, so it's kind of interesting. We get that in Peter's letter. He writes it as part of his letter to the church. But then Matthew records this for us also, this really um, just kind of a crazy moment. It, it, theologically, we call these uh, theophanies. Like we're in the season of Epiphany. See, we have our Epiphany light up there because Epiphany is about revealing light. Uh, so Epiphany Theophany is revealing God. So the transfiguration moment, Jesus is revealed as God. That's kind of what that is. Boom. You know, it's kind of like the veil is pulled away and it's like, whoa, you know, look at who we have actually standing before us. So um, Teresa and I were gone for a few days. Thanks, Chris, for carrying carrying water for us. And we've got people on the road. We've got people traveling back from Southern California too uh, today. Anyway, it was good to be away for a few days and uh, otherwise, I would just work on my house. So it's good. it was good to be away. And it was great to visit another Lutheran church in Orange, California, St. John Orange. It was really neat. Healthy, vibrant, really neat to visit with the pastor. And then also to visit with a worship uh, director for, worship, for Concordia University down in Irvine. So it was really a neat experience to be down there. But we went and spent about a day and a half in Disneyland. So we went to Disneyland. Lots of wonderful memories for us and our family and so forth. Um, kind of changing a little bit, but anyway, maybe that's to be expected. Um, but lots of memories. It's probably been five years since we've been there or so. And, um, and we went, and what was interesting is, it, still was, it was a neat experience. And I tell people, it was nice. It was, you know, it was still very, it was still way too cold down there, but it was still 40 degrees warmer than here. So thank God for that. Um, but um, I was intrigued at how many of the uh, rides broke down. There was just a bunch of rides broken down. It seemed like three or so in each park most of the time. And it would go down, not for 10 minutes, you know, like two hours, you know. And I'm thinking, boy, if I had my heart set on that with my family and I'd spent all that money, that would be disappointing. We've been down there a bunch of times. And uh, so we could do other things and so forth. Because, you know, when you go to Disneyland, you walk in there so that you can enter a new reality, Right? You go down Main Street, and you're like back in little town, small town America. It's kind of the idea. Um, people are dressed, you know, all the cast members are dressed in a certain way, you know, to evoke a certain era that comes. Then you go into a different land, and you frontier land, and you're transported into that land. Or if you go over to the Disney's California Adventure, they've got this down to a science. You walk into the Cars land, and you're like transported to Radiator Springs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes? That's now an old movie, by the way. Cars. Or if you go into Galaxy's Edge, they have a whole Star Wars era. era. It's kind of amazing. You walk through a tunnel and 
you're in that land. And that's kind of the goal, isn't it? You, it's kind of to go and it's entertainment. You know, you kind of escape a little bit. You enter into something. Remember what Pastor Von Bush is? You remember how he described Disneyland all the time? You remember this? Pastor Von Bush always described it as, it's just lies and deception. Right? <laughs> I said, you party pooper. <laughs> so, and a lot of us are like, yeah, good. Lie to me, please. I mean, I'm ready for a little bit of fake right now. I need to get out of the world and I need to get into this for a little bit. But it is in- interesting when you see rides break down and stuff. It's no longer the happiest place on earth. Um, people are unhappy about that, especially if they've been waiting in line for an hour already, and then it goes down. Or you see the workers go in, and you end up looking behind the facade a little bit. And really, places like Disneyland and so forth are about that thick. You pull that facade away, and it's not real. I'm sharing this with you as a contrast to what today is in the Bible, in transfiguration. It's the opposite. What they are seeing in the humiliation of Jesus, this human person, this regular, even though they're astonished by his teaching, he speaks with authority, he performs miracles, they have not seen the whole Jesus, have they? But they do now. Peter, James, and John are brought up to a high mountain, and we think it's probably Mount Hermon. We think it's probably... Highest peak there. It's a snow-covered peak in the, in the Mediterranean area in Israel. And he takes him up to that high mountain, and he is transfigured. His face shines like the sun, and God is revealed before them. The divinity of Jesus Christ, that God humbled himself and put himself into him. It's God in the flesh. This is who this is. And that's what we celebrate fundamentally on Transfiguration Sunday, is that in Epiphany, these, these weeks after Christmas... We culminate with, it is now, he is, nobody's hiding the ball now. We're not trying to fake anyone out. Jesus isn't saying, don't tell anyone about me. He isn't saying, don't tell them about the Son of Man. It is like, here I am. And he is fully revealed. And that's what I love about this. As compared to so many things we try to escape to, we'll escape into that fantasy for a little bit, but you peel it back and it's not real. In this case, you peel that back on Jesus and you get the full Jesus. You get the whole Jesus. It's not Jesus is, well, he's a moral, great moral teacher. He's a good moral teacher. I'll, I'll listen to that, his wisdom. Or, boy, he cares about the un, underprivileged, and he cares about the disenfranchised. And that's a wonderful quote. I like that about Jesus. You know, or Jesus died for me, or he's compassionate, and he shows emotion, and he cares about people, or he has great wisdom. You know, I like that about Jesus. This is the whole thing. And you either t- get this with Jesus or you don't have Jesus. That's what's being revealed here on Transfiguration Sunday. It's a culminating moment. And this is great. I love our church here, and this is where I'm almost embarrassed to say, boy, I like being Lutheran for the next number of weeks because it's Lent. Is that weird? I'm a sick man. I love Lent because Lent forces me to stop. I probably wouldn't on my own, not very well. But Lent, Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, and then in we go for 40 days. And it leads us to the cross. That's why we have transfiguration now. Mountaintop moment. And now it goes down. Right? We're going to the cross. So there's four things I want to share with you that I think are very encouraging gospel moments in this. I want you to be encouraged by it. But here's the law thing in it. Peter kind of gives us... Peter's always good for this. He just goofs up royally. And he's up there. And in some ways it's not meant to be that way. Let, let me, I'll tell you a story and see if I can illustrate it. Because Peter kind of says, wow, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, let's just live here. 
Okay, that's what he says. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke actually is comment on the, when he writes this, he says, he puts it in a parenthetical. When Peter says that, he says, Peter didn't really know what he was saying. Literally in the Greek, it says Peter was out of his mind. So he was really making a really out-of-bounds, dumb comment to say that. Doesn't seem that dumb to me, but I'll explain. So there's an old story that goes about a, a magician who's on a cruise line, and he, he's a phenomenal magician. He just can do amazing illusions, make things disappear and reappear. And it's amazing. The crowd is just astonished. Day after day, they love it. They're just amazed. But there's a, here's a cliche, but the parrot of the captain, right? Arr, right? So the parrot of the captain is sitting there perched right near him. And every time he does a trick, he, the parrot's always saying, it's fake, it's not magic, it's fake, it's not magic, it's not real, all the time. Very irritating. Well, in the middle of one of the performances, the ship runs into an iceberg and the ship goes down. And here, in one of the lifeboats, is the magician and the parrot. And after a long, long silence, the parrot finally says to him, he says, okay, what'd you do with the ship? Anyway, that's a dumb joke. But here's the why. Here's the why. Peter is kind of doing a parrot move here. In the midst of overwhelming, of that which he cannot grasp or comprehend, he does something dumb. He says something stupid. Because here's the deal. Here's why Peter is criticized by Luke and in the Gospels. In, in context, Peter is just kind of overwhelmed by the moment, wouldn't you? I mean, I would be, for sure. I mean, I'm amazed that he found the ability to say anything in, in standing in the revealed presence of God. I mean, you take the Old Testament lesson, it's almost like Jesus is giving them a Moses moment where God is on the top of the mountain revealing. Wow. I mean, this is a big deal that God would reveal himself in that way. Thank God that he revealed himself in Jesus because we could receive it, right? We could receive it. But he is now letting these three disciples in on this thing. And it's not just Jesus. Here's Moses and Elijah. Squirrel moment, side note. This is one of the things why we rejoice and why we think heaven's going to be so cool. That you're, you're not going to like become part of the force. Uh, you know, like the good, bar, the good side of the force. But that you actually have a body. You're recognizable. Because, right, they recognize it. Moses and Elijah. It's cool, right? They're talking. They're having a conversation. They're interacting. And so we're going, cool, heaven. That'll be what heaven is like. You're able to interact, right? So anyway, side note, done squirreling, probably. Um, so Peter is ridiculed for this, criticized for this, that he says, let's build shelters and stay here. And, and actually, when you stop to look at it, of course, that makes sense. You can't live on the mountaintop. And by the way, who did Jesus come for? Not for the people on the mountaintop. He came for the people in the valley. The people in, the, in darkness, in brokenness, in hurt. The people living like you and me every day. How do we find our way? Who will be the light? What will we fix our eyes on? And so Peter misses the mission, doesn't he? It's not just about who he is. It's about what Christ has come to do. So that's really the law thing, is for us not to get lost in the mountaintop moments. And really, even in our faith, to constantly be chasing mountaintop moments. Oh, i got to have that spiritual high. i got to get that spiritual high. If I don't get that spiritual high, if I'm not lost, you know, if I'm not overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, I must not really be a Christian. Christ is journeying with us in every moment, in the desert and in the wonderful times of harvest and plenty and celebration, in the times of grief and loss, 
and times of victory, right? Christ journeying with us all the time. But I'll tell you what, Jesus spends more of his time in the valley than on the mountaintop. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So anyway, that's kind of the law part of this. Let me give you four things in here that I think are really meant to be blessings for us from this. The first thing is this. The first thing about the transfiguration is it reveals something about Jesus that we need to know. Now, I've read and preached on this passage many, many times, and I actually noticed something for the first time, and I just want to share it with you. This is what I think is neat. Now, of course, what do we need to know about Jesus? In this moment, in this part of revealing Jesus' ministry, you have got to know that he is absolutely God in the flesh, that this is God doing the work. Because if Jesus Christ, here's why, this is so simple. Because if Jesus Christ is not fully and completely and in every way God, you are still on the hook for your sins. Okay? That's as simply as I can say that. It's only God who can pay for and wipe away and redeem and forgive the sins of the whole world. Amen? Correct? Right? Only Christ. Only God can do that. So if Jesus is not fully God, we're in, we're in trouble. You better get busy and start building your resume. And good luck with that. So what I'm saying is, that's, this is, what do you need to know about Jesus? I'm God, okay? I'm not hiding the ball. I'm not trying to fool anybody. And no deception. Here it is. So, but there's another thing here I think that we really need to know. See, we have a culture right now. We say this in America. This, this is why it's kind of hard to be the church, especially like kind of a, a Bible-based church right now where you want to be fully faithful and also compassionate and build bridges into your community. It's real hard because as we reach out to our community and say, we want to talk to you about Jesus, you know what a lot of the response you get is? Oh, yeah, we know all about him. Right? Doesn't everybody know about Jesus? Really nice guy. Walks on water, raises Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, there's a cross thing in there. I don't know what it all means, but yeah, I know all about Jesus. In other words, they're vaccinated. They're inoculated. You know how real vaccines work? They give you a little bit of the disease, right? Just a little bit, so you get a little bit sick, so you don't get the big sick. We would actually like you to get the big sick on Jesus. We would really like that because so many people have the little bit and they think they know all about Jesus. Here's another one. It's obvious in the transfiguration one. Wow, this is some guy. This must be, this, he's, he's tied to God really close somehow. This is a God thing. But here's the other thing, and I had never noticed this. Peter's writing a letter to the church. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, right from the Almighty Father, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Isn't that weird? I missed that. Whom I love. Why would he say that? I looked at that. I said, why would God say that? Why would he say that? This is my son whom I love, and I'm pleased with him. Why wouldn't he just say, this is my son. I'm taking on human form. Bow down and follow me. Pay attention. Do what I say. Stop treating me like I'll take that under advisement. Why wouldn't he do that? He says, this is my son whom I love. You know what God is saying? I am longing for all of humanity, every one of you who I've made, who I've purchased with my own blood, all of you who I've made in my image. You know what? I want you to know love like the, like the Son and I and the Spirit know. I want you to know that. That's my Son that I love. In other words, God is always about relationship, not transaction. God is not transactional. God is relational. 
everything he does is driven out of his love. Everything. And so this, is, I, this one kind of blew me away because I'm going on transfiguration. I've never talked about love before. And yet that's what's driving it. This is my son who I'm loved. With him I'm well pleased. I love this. Uh, whoa, gosh, my days run together. Was it last night was the basketball game? Oh, yeah, okay. So our boys won a game, our, our high school boys. So they're still in the district playoffs. And uh, they, we played North Gem and beat him. It was a great game. And uh, one of our, it was great because who was sitting behind me was one of the players' dads. So his son, Will, and Todd and Amy were behind us. And it was great because Will had the best game of his, like, his life. Like, right? I couldn't believe it. And I said, I said, Will, I said to him after the game, I said, Will, half those shots you threw up, I was praying, and God answered my prayer. Because I'm looking at those going, I don't know where that one's going, and it went through the hoop. So anyway, it was really very, very cool. And, but it was very fun to hear how proud Dad was. It's really cool to sit by parents because, man, they love to see their kids succeed. And when they do well, isn't that the greatest thing, moms and dads? Don't you just sit there and you just burst? It's the coolest thing. That's what God's doing. I love my son. Did you hear him talk? Did you hear him? Did you see who he loved? Did you see who he welcomed into his presence? He did exactly what I do because that's me in the flesh. He did exactly what I do. We are of the same mind. We are acting towards the same way. I love him. And that love I want you to experience. So that's point number one. There's some things here we need to learn about God, that Jesus is completely God, but it's also Jesus is completely loved, that he might love us. Second thing. So, um, so in, in my house, I have lots of things I had to assemble, and I don't like instruction manuals. <clears throat> this gets me in trouble. Periodically, I think it means I need to go to confession. Um... Because I'm one of those guys, anyone remember the old movie Blazing Saddles? There's a great line in there. We don't need no stinking badges. And I'm going, I don't need no stinking instructions. And then after I mess it up for the third time, I go hunt down the instructions and look for it. Why? Because it's all in the instructions. How often do we do that? I don't need no stinking Bible. I know all about Jesus. I know all about this religious stuff. I know all about that. It's all in the book. Here we go. It reveals something about God's plan for us here in the the book. Let me tell you something unique about Christianity, about followers of Jesus Christ. It is an absolutely unique faith system in the whole world. Absolutely unique. Every other faith system, this is one way that you can cut one of the markers of Christianity. All other faith systems are You get your act together and start doing good stuff and build your resume so that you might ascend to God. You can climb the ladder and make yourself presentable to be welcomed into his presence. You get me? Okay. And that's how the world works, doesn't it? Do good stuff, get rewarded. Do bad stuff, get whacked. That's how it goes. Not Christianity. God looks at us and he says that... Those guys are a hot mess. And they seem to not be able to get out of their own way. And in fact, they're digging the hole deeper. And so he says, I'm coming to them. So this is one of the miracles of transfiguration. 
God descends to us and then invites us to ascend the mountain with him. You get me? We ascend with him. He doesn't sit there at the top of the mountain and say, come on. See if you can endure the sufferings and you can overcome the trials and you can gain personal fortitude. And He says, I know you can't. So I'm coming. Will you let me carry you? How many of your kids have done this? Right? Here, hold my hand. Whap! I'm holding your hand. Come on, hold my hand. No, I don't. No! Right? How often does that happen? And God is simply saying, come on. Let's walk up the mountain together. And so God takes us up the mountain, like Peter, James, and John, reveals himself. And then he says, and now we're going back down. And here's what's powerful to me. I hope this at least introduces the season of Lent for you. Because the next 40 days, then we kind of descend. We're going back down the mountain. Here comes Jesus coming down the mountain. People are opposed to him. Religious leaders are opposed. Rome's opposed to him. People are fighting against him. Jesus is forging his way to the cross. This is not a... Remember, I, all of you who've had class with me, when I talk about Good Friday, I always say, that ain't good for Jesus, man. That's good only for you and me. It's a tough road, and he makes that road to the cross. And all the way, he goes and invites us to come with him. But there comes a point where it's only Jesus who, rides, who walks to the height of the next mountain. And that's Mount Calvary. And that's a cross. And so this is what's distinct and unique, something that we need to learn about God's plan for us. He, is, he descends. He brings us up. He goes with us. And then alone, he goes to the cross. Third thing. I don't know about you. Do you have uh, family legends that get told whenever your families come together? Like Thanksgiving, or Christmas and Grandma and Grandpa or Uncle Bob or whatever, and they begin launching into family legends that you know are lies. Right? Do you know this? Okay, we won't call them lies. Uh, fantastic embellishments. Right? And you know you're sitting there as a kid and you're going, it did not, that did not happen that way. That is not how it went. And every once in a while, now if you want to ruin Thanksgiving, take that on. Okay? Call them out and bring out your Google and show them that they're wrong. Please don't do that. That will get you in big trouble. But so we put up with it, don't we? Family legends and all these things. You know, I walk three miles uphill both ways to school and four foot snow drifts, blah, blah, blah. This is what's cool. What do we learn? This has been revealed and anchored in history. Look at Peter's letter, if you're following along. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What do you notice about that? How does Peter write it? What's the pronoun? We. Did you notice that? He could have said what? I didn't follow cleverly invented ideas when I told you about the power. But I was an eyewitness of his majesty. Doesn't do that. It's we. Now I'm going to explain to you too. I had several people say to me, actually thank me after service. They said, man, thanks. I never, I always wondered about this. Why does he only bring Peter, James, and John? Why didn't he bring all 12? Come on, big party. Come on. Did he figure some of the guys couldn't keep up? Or, you know, what's, what's the deal? Why didn't he bring? I mean, because Jesus doesn't like one disciple better than another, Right? I mean, he's not playing favorites. So why does he do that? Well, here's the deal. The other guys needed to believe their testimony because that's going to happen again. 
because other people are going to have to believe their testimony about the resurrection and about the cross and about the Holy Spirit. With me? See what I'm saying? So he brings Peter, James, and John so that it's three witnesses. By the way, that's a very Jewish thing. You get three witnesses, you win the case. Okay? Two, not always. One, almost not at all. So this is a big deal. It's revealed and anchored in history. And it's not just we saw this. And by the way, the we, Peter, James, and John, all three of them are persecuted or executed for their faith. All three of them lose their lives. In fact, James is one of the very first martyrs uh, for his faith. And so Peter, James, and John are eyewitnesses and martyrs never recanting what they saw, always holding to the veracity of what they saw. But then secondly, I love this, that in the Matthew one, Matthew says, who appeared with him is Moses and Elijah. This is a big deal. Moses, the lawgiver, Jesus, the law keeper, only one who could fully keep the law, but also Elijah, the one who would promise the Messiah, right? The forerunner of the Messiah. And so this is cool for Israelites and for Jewish people especially. This moment is anchored in their salvation history. It's anchored in Moses, in Elijah, and now in Jesus Christ. So the third thing you should know is this is not some random, this is not some family myth. This is not a family myth that the Christians came up with to try to pretend that Jesus is more than he really is. They have too many eyewitnesses. Too many people lost everything. Because, you know, even on your family history, my guess is Uncle Bob ain't going to, to the execution chamber for the family myth. These guys go to it for God's truth. Okay, last point, last point, fourth thing. So we have a cars ministry here. I want to do a shout out for our cars ministry. And if you want to support or be involved in that, you should. I haven't done this often enough. The fourth Saturday of every month, we help people in the community. And when I say we, it ain't me. Um, um, Cliff and Chuck, Cliff Cummings, our head elder, Chuck Bristetta, director of operations, they're kind of the champions of this and have led this and been doing it for many years. Right now, we're actually on the hunt for a car if you want to donate a car. Um, to try to help a family out. But several times a year, we, we provide automobiles for families. We fix vehicles. And these are some people on real hard times in our community. And so it's, sometimes it's fixing brakes, and sometimes it's replacing windshield wipers. You know, I mean, it's oil changes and all that kind of stuff. So every once in a while, we get a car donated. And so I get a car donated, and I go out there, and I look at it, and I'm going, wow, this looks good. I get the key. I turn it over. Wow, fires up turns over. It's really cool. It's got leather seats. The seat warmers are awesome. It's way cool, man. Air conditioning works. Radio's really great. And I turn that on. I go into Chuck and I say, man, I got a family of these. Can we just give them the key? And Chuck and Cliff say to me, we need to check it out. And almost always there's something. Transmission. And I mean, and usually when I say something, I mean, you would die. <laughs> okay. I'm going along there doing this thing. I'm going, this is cool. You know, feels good. And Chuck and Cliff check it out. And they make sure that if we put a car into the hands of a family, that they're going to be safe and it's going to do what it needs them to do. This is this point. This gives us confidence in God's word and promise. Not because I said it feels good. Look at what he says. Peter is saying, and remember, this is 30 years afterwards. He's writing to the church. 
And he's saying, we heard it. We saw it. We were there. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We have the word of the prophets made more certain. That's a cool line. Not that it wasn't certain before. It's more certain. This is just validation of what it is. I tell this like to my life in Christ class. When we have, you know, archaeological evidence, get this. I'll make a crazy statement. Not a single thing has ever been dug out of the ground to disprove any of the claims of Holy Scripture. Not one thing has been dug out of the ground to disprove it. Now, have we proven everything that's in the Bible? No, I didn't say that. But nothing has disproven the claims of Scripture. So does that make it true? No, but it's more certain. I'm more certain. Get what I'm saying? So, and so we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it means a great deal to me. When Cliff and Chuck say to me, that car's ready to put into that family's hands. Now I'm certain. Not because I felt it, but because they told me so. This is what we call objective righteousness. Peter is saying, this didn't come outside of me. God told it to me. It was revealed to me. Jesus, Jesus modeled it for me. This is what we call objective truth, objective righteousness. It comes from outside of us. Because trust me on this, if it's dependent upon what's coming from inside of me, you're in a deep world of hurt. Or even from within yourself. Maybe you feel it one day, the next day you don't feel it. What if you don't? What if you don't feel it? What if it's not happening? But for me to hear God say, even when I don't feel like it, I don't know if it's true, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and God still says to me, you are my own. I am for you. And again, my faith is restored. I need it to come from outside of me. And when it comes outside of me from God, then I have the privilege to say that famous word, that great word that comes at the end of this text. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. That's my prayer for us, that we would look up and see no one but Jesus. Tim, be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.